Welcome to the Rise Podcast. This show, Swamped. Most of the great cities the world over are built along the water. So are towns, hamlets, villages. Because living along waterways makes a lot of sense for any society. And San Francisco is no exception. With the ocean to the west, the bay to the east, and the Golden Gate connecting them, this peninsula is defined by the water that surrounds it. Other major cities ring the coast of the San Francisco Bay as well. Oakland, Richmond, Hayward in the East Bay, San Jose and Silicon Valley cities in the South Bay. But sea level rise and extreme weather, both fueled by climate change, are threatening to reclaim this land and the communities that are built on it. Paddling a kayak eye level to the water is a good way to get a view of the San Francisco Bay's coastline. It's a Pearl gray day. There's a high fog and a kind of silvery light, and that reflects off the surface of the bay. So it's a pewter experience this morning, paddling along. Paul McHugh has been kayaking around the San Francisco Bay for almost 30 years, both for pleasure and for his work as a journalist. I'm Paul McHugh, a Lancon Bay Area writer and an outdoorsman. I love San Francisco Bay and I get on it as often as I can. Of all the cities circling the bay, San Francisco stands out as the area's icon. Paddling across the bay's waters, Paul's kayak approaches San Francisco's picturesque shoreline. And now, as I paddle closer to San Francisco, one of the world's most fabled skylines is coming into view. There's all those familiar landmarks, Transamerica Pyramid, Tower. There's Boudin Bakery where you can get your sourdough rolls. What a pretty, pretty town. And now we're starting to cruise by the financial district of San Francisco. Behind the ferry building are the big soaring glass towers of the financial district. Some of them with their tops lost in the cloud of mist. We're in the financial district in San Francisco. Uh, this is actually the Embarcadero. Uh, in front of the ferry building on Embarcadero. I actually don't know uh, what this area is called. Ferry center? Downtown area, Maybe. I guess. <laughs> the Embarcadero. It's at the edge of the financial district. This is the Embarcadero. It's a fabulous boulevard, as you can see, with palm trees in the middle of it. And this is Will Travis. My name is Will Travis. Uh, most of my friends just call me Travis or Trav. Travis heads up BCDC. It stands for the Bay Conservation and Development Commission. Which is a state coastal management agency. The coast that Travis is responsible for is the edge of the San Francisco Bay. The challenge we're facing now with sea level rise is that the bay is going to get bigger. So our responsibility is to come up with strategies for dealing with this problem. And the financial district may be his biggest problem. We've got a whole series of high rises around us, both office buildings and hotels and condos. 
Uh, this is the basic hub of downtown San Francisco, a lot of activity. Uh, a lot of people come to the financial district uh, to do consulting or banking. A lot of business people work there. It's where a lot of people spend a lot of their day-to-day -day lives is the financial district. But the financial district of San Francisco is vulnerable. It floods, and it's been flooding more and more. Even now, at relatively low tide, there's about uh, six feet of freeboard. That's the space between the water level and the, the top of the seawall. Uh, at high tides, we'll get waves splashing up over the Embarcadero and the, this walkway. If we look over here, you can see sandbags stored along the waterfront because they have to put them up in front of the doors to keep the interior of that building from flooding now. Okay, swinging out past the ends of the piers, we're making our way down the San Francisco Embarcadero. From where I sit, it looks like all the water has to do is come up six feet to flow onto the Embarcadero. The kind of intense storms that we've seen once every hundred years, we'll see ten times as often in the future. How worried should we be about flooding? My name is Dr. Healy Hamilton. Healy Hamilton works at the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco. My own research program looks at the impacts of climate change on biodiversity. According to climate measurement tools, sea level rise is real and significant. The projections a few years ago were 16 inches by about 2050 and perhaps 55 inches by the end of this century. But that isn't the last word. More recent studies raise that to 29 inches of sea level rise by 2050 and as much as 75 inches by 2100. The studies keep coming, and scientists agree that based on increasingly sophisticated models, the numbers are only going up. Global climate models are incredibly complex, run under huge supercomputers, using millions of different inputs and trying to capture how the global climate system works. Today, we are overshooting the worst case scenario that we even imagined 10 years ago. We are headed right now on a path to an ice-free planet. And once we are there, this planet will look nothing like it does today. And the human infrastructure that we all depend upon will not be able to adapt to those kinds of changes. There are almost 150,000 people living and working in San Francisco's financial district. This may soon be a big problem for them. Work brings me to the financial district. I come here five days a week. I work at a law firm in the city. Well, I'm part of the street artist program. I also bank and I also shop here. I'm just reading a book, have my lunch. I got off early today, so yeah, I'm just kind of walking around. Okay, the Ghirardelli sign is coming into view. Top of the old factory area. That always makes me think of chocolate. That's a happy thought. So where is this sea level rise that everyone's talking about? I don't know anything about sea level rising in San Francisco. I don't really have an opinion. Sea level right now, we're, we're, we're above it. It's not I mean, something I know a lot about. Honestly, I never, never really stopped to think about it. 
climate change is causing sea level rise in two different ways. When water molecules are warm, they expand. It's called thermal expansion. So as the oceans heat up, they take up more room. And then, as Dr. Healy Hamilton explains, there are the melting ice sheets. Increasingly, we see very rapid melting of those land ice caps, and that is mainly in Greenland and Antarctica. That literally adds new volumes of water to the world's oceans, contributing another portion of rising sea levels. Plus, there are what's called feedback loops. When ice melts, instead of being bright and white and reflecting the sun's rays back into space, you now have darker oceans that are absorbing the sun's heat. The more the ice melts, the more that sunlight is absorbed rather than reflected, which heats things up even more, which causes more ice to melt, and there we are in a feedback loop. Climate change will also cause more extreme weather patterns. Those storms that we used to have are now getting more intense. That means more rainfall, more winds, and wind is what pushes the surface of the water around, creating bigger waves. And bigger waves are causing coastal flooding. In the event that sea level rise continues, you'd have the water expanding in the ocean and in the bay, just from heat. You'd have melting glaciers and ice caps, Antarctica, Greenland, so forth, raising the sea level. Let's say you've got more rainfall, then you add a little extra high tide, a plus tide, and shake it together and shazam, you've got a flood. So if you combine sea level rise, the slow filling of the bathtub of the bay, with these splashing events, which will occur far more often, we're going to have much more flooding more regularly. This will happen with increasing frequency into the future, and that's a direct impact of climate change. I mean, I've heard about this. I think we've all seen the photos, right, of you know polar bears scrambling to stay on their little ice boats, and that's not looking so hot. That's no idle threat, because climate change is uh, starting to really set in. We're starting to see the effects now. We've had eight inches of sea level rise in San Francisco Bay, and we know this. That's Will Travis again. Because the oldest and longest continuously operating tide gauge in the entire United States of America is at the Golden Gate. So we have 154 years of data. So this isn't a guess, it isn't a prediction, it isn't an estimate. It's measured for the past century and a half. We're standing on a pier that is right above the tide gauge, and it's totally underwater, and we can't see it. <laughs> um, the tide gauge is basically a tube that the water flows into, and using air pressure, we are able to measure the level of the sea, which is then transmitted to computers, which upload that information to satellite. Today, tide gauges are only one tool used to measure the level of the sea. In addition to tide gauges, we use laser altimetry from airplanes that fly over the bay and measures the distance between the seafloor and sea level. And we use satellites to measure the surface of the oceans. All three of these together give us our best understanding of how sea level rise is occurring today and allow us to project the rate and magnitude of change into the future.
sea level rise. You, you know, you can have all these horror stories. <laughs> I mean, you immediately think of like rising water. I see me underwater. Mother Nature is really strong. I think of the water is just sort of enveloping you, just moving higher past your ankles, up to your knees. Who knows when it's going to stop, really? People talking about end of the world here, and it's like, oh my god. Well, not the end of the world, but a world that is changing fast around us. And it's coming because of changes we have been making to our planet. Not only to the climate, but also to the land. Here in the San Francisco Bay Area, we not only built beside the water, but into it, filling 40% of the bay to create real estate. When I'm looking out this window, 24th uh, floor of 1 Front Street, I'm seeing to my right a, a tall building that is about uh, 30 stories of vertical stripes. Right in front of me, a building of uh, aluminum and glass that is also about 35 stories. You have a sea of tall buildings. That's Craig Hartman. I'm an architect, a uh, partner at Skidmore, Owings & Merrill, San Francisco. SOM is one of the biggest design firms in the world. Craig describes what this same view from his office window would have looked like a few centuries back. This was originally it was called Front Street because this was the front street onto the bay. And had we been here, what we have seen is the bay lapping at the shore and uh, certainly a lot of uh, uh, pelicans, uh, egrets, uh, seagulls. The original shoreline of San Francisco is about a half a mile inland from the edge of today's bay. So all those skyscrapers surrounding Craig's office tower are sitting on landfill. The process of creating new land around the bay was to first create a levee, then water was pumped out from behind those, um, those levees, and land was filled in. In some cases, entire uh, hills were cut down and flattened uh, and, and brought to make uh, landfill. It's just so hard to believe that this whole area was water and then filled in and built upon. I don't know. I would, I would have never thought about that. It's crazy. <laughs> Along with using entire hilltops for fill, Paul and Travis explained that the financial district was created with another surprising material. Once upon a time, this was the most robust commercial fishing port on the West. And there were mast upon mast and boat upon boat crowded. This was the heyday of the rip-roaring Barbary Coast. The ships that were bringing the miners to the gold rush came into Yerba Buena Cove. The sailors weren't paid much, if anything, and they jumped ship. Trash was thrown overboard from the ships, which were used for storage and saloons and most everything else. The wooden-hulled ships rotted into the mud. And downtown San Francisco is built on an armada of derelict ships. I did not know there were old shipwrecks underneath the financial district. That's awesome. We're on a piece of history right now. That is really cool. That's pretty crazy. Cool. Crazy. Maybe. But it's this created land that is now threatened by floods. Because when those wetlands were filled, they were filled only high enough to get them above sea level. And that was the sea levels of the past. So there's a high likelihood that areas that were wetlands in the past will probably be subject to future sea level rise, inundation, and storm surge. And this is the crux of the problem. Bay Coastline filled just up to sea level to make new real estate, 
back then and the level of the sea rising today. I wonder if global warming really kicks in and the sea level rises, what's going to happen to that financial district? Travis paints a colorful picture about what might happen. If you can imagine us here in 2050 on a dark and stormy night with high tides and the wind pushing the water up over the seawall and on to the Embarcadero and into the buildings, it will be kind of like that. I can't even picture that. What would that even look like? Sea level rising, I think, is pretty frightening. I get an anxiety, um, extreme anxiety about it. Fear. I think it's a sort of open-ended fear. It kind of scares me. But while sea level rise feels threatening, it also feels somehow unreal. I haven't noticed any difference in the level of the water, so it looks the same to me. I don't see it as being rapid. Probably not in my lifetime, it's just my opinion. What happens to our infrastructure? What happens to roadways? What happens to water treatment plants? It's important to remember as we look down here now and we see a street, that you're gonna get flooding on what's underneath all that too. Art lines, muni lines, sewer lines, the basements of hotels and office buildings. The whole financial district would be affected, the economy of San Francisco. People will get hurt, people will lose homes, businesses will suffer. Shipping and tourism. It would create chaos. And it's not just downtown that will get hit. Another airplane passing overhead on its way to SFO, one of the great airports of the world and one of the low-lying airports of the world. Right down at water level on San Francisco Bay. What do we do to maintain an airport on the peninsula? San Francisco and Oakland International Airports. Silicon Valley, home to Apple and Intel and Google, are vulnerable to sea level rise. So low-lying areas around the shoreline of the bay, which are now lovely waterfront locations, uh, may be lovely underwaterfront locations in the future. How about houses built higher up, in the hills around the bay? They're safe, right? We also have police stations, uh, fire stations, schools in low-lying vulnerable areas climate change will have impacts on all of us here in the Bay Area. Of course, San Francisco is just one corner of the world. Sea level rise knows no boundaries. Sea level rise isn't something that's a bubble here in San Francisco Bay. South Florida is particularly vulnerable. New York is now looking at uh, the impact, particularly on their uh, subway system. and. Uh, New Orleans is one that we're all very, very familiar with. London, Tokyo, Los Angeles, uh, Miami, all these cities, all the great cities that you think of are, are cities on the water. Around the world, this is going to be a problem, and particularly in developing nations. When I hear the phrase sea level rise, I picture poor Bangladesh. I'm sure there'll be solutions for SF but there's plenty of poor places where they haven't got the money to make these solutions. They definitely will have an impact everywhere. So this is a big adventure, a big adventure of survival that we're all on together. I like to think that humanity is a pretty smart species, but with all of our headlong pursuit, 
of wealth and power and technology, I wonder if we've outsmarted ourselves. And so we'll see how clever human beings are. This is the time for imagination and hope. I'm not suggesting that it will be easy, but the strength of human beings is that we're best when conditions are worst. And this is a time for us to be our best. Rise. This podcast, Swamped, was produced and directed by Claire Schoen. Associate producer and editor, Vanessa Lowe. Original music by Jonathan Mitchell. Special thanks to Erica Mu, Jan Sturman, Stephen Most, and Scott Kuei. To hear all the stories in the RISE series, please visit us online at crise.org. I'm Claire Schoen.